also, right and good, that it may be well with thee. How many of you want it to be well with God? That it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to cast out thine enemies from before thee, as the Lord hath spoken. And when thy son asketh thee in times to come, saying, What mean these testimonies, and the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondsmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and great, great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all the household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for all our good for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. In the last verse, and it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. I want to talk to you this morning about God-centered homes. god centered homes everybody say that with me god centered homes i was going to teach this bible lesson wednesday night and i told the church i always date when i preach something i always type in the date i keep a log of things that i preached i got messages i preached 30 40 years ago and i know when i preached it and where i preached it and I do this because I try not to get on the same subject matter too often. I probably do it anyway, but it, at least it gives me some guidance. And Wednesday night, uh, Brother Ordorica got up here, and he just kind of showed out and followed the Holy Ghost. And, man, we just had church. And I, I'm telling you, he did the right thing, and I didn't have to teach. And I told the church, if the Lord will allow me, I'm going to come back and teach this uh, Sunday. And it really turned out to be better for today because God-centered homes is what we need on Father's Day. If we ever needed anything on Father's Day, it's for us to make up our minds to have God-centered homes. God needs to be in the center of our home. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, if God's not in the center of your home, your home's not what God wants it to be. If anything is more important in your home than God is, you need to get out of it. Get it out of your home. If you've got a precious car that you love more than God, I'd sell that thing in a heartbeat. 
I'll even get on down home. If you got a precious gun that you love more than God, you better get rid of it. If you got a precious wife more, no, don't, don't. Whatever's precious to you, you can't love it more than you love God. God's got to be number one in your life. That is if you want a God-centered home. And you know, if there's ever been a time in our lives that we need to truly have God-centered home, it ought to be right now. Because I think anybody with a brain realizes we're in the last days. I think anybody that reads or studies or watches the news or listens has to realize our world is in a mess. Our world is in a mess. But let me give you some good news. God is still in control. A lot of people right now, there's a lot of, a lot of things going on in our world, and there's people that's throwing this at the church. Well, why are y'all wearing masks? Y'all afraid? Well, my Bible says don't tempt the Lord thy God. So if I want to wear a mask, that's okay. If I don't want to shake your ugly hand, that's all right. If I don't want to hug your old nasty neck, that don't mean that I don't trust God. That does not mean that I'm not a believer. What did the devil try to do? He tried to get the Lord to turn rocks into bread, stones into bread. Tempted him with it. One time he even tempted him to jump off a high place. And, and the devil told him before, you know, right after that, he said, don't worry about it. The Lord said, he'll, he'll take care of you, send his angels, and you, you, you won't have to worry about it. What did Jesus say to him? It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God so we're not afraid the church is not in fear we're not living in fear we're living in respect we're living in honor I guess the worst thing that could happen to our church if it'll be a breakout and a bunch of us get coronavirus and somebody die from it that has happened in many United Pentecostal churches and we have been blessed because it didn't happen. It still could happen. But we're going to do what we can to prevent it from happening. And God, we're going to trust Him for the rest. Amen. I said that for whatever it is, for whatever reason it needs to be said. We're being cautious in our church. And if anybody's got a problem with that, come see me. I don't mind looking at you and say, you're wrong. Because we just need to wait a little while. Be All right. I guess I better get on in this Bible study. <clears throat> when men turn 70 years old, they ramble. And I got to be careful. And that's why I write my notes down. I don't want to be a rambler. If I become a rambler, I'm going to call a church meeting and get y'all to vote me out. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. 
Here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God is saying, if we want to have the kind of family that will make you proud, if we want God to be the center of our home, then I need to remember some things and I need to teach my family, my children, that there are certain things in this life pertaining to God that we need to remember. God told Israel to teach their families and to remember His laws. That the Lord, their God, was one God and He was not going to share His glory with another God. That God had brought them out of slavery. God had given them blessings they did not deserve. Wells they had not dug. Houses they did not build. And fields they had not planted. They were to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and might according to the Word of God. But Jesus made it clear in Mark 12 and 30 how we're to love God in our generation. He said that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, mind, and strength. And this is the first commandment. What Jesus said here covers every avenue of our lives. And notice the word all is used denoting that half-hearted love does never work with God. If you're going to love God like God wants you to love Him, you're going to have to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were to obey all of his commandments and decrees and laws and love God with everything. God was a merciful God and he loved them very much. But they were always to remember that their God was not a God to ignore or take for granted. They didn't want to mess with God or play games with his laws because God is a jealous God, and God could move out of the era of loving his people into an era of judgment. God was asking them to put him first in every area of their lives, in their public lives and their private lives, in their schools, in their workplace, in their past and present and future. This commitment to him, they were told, would give their families advantages no other nation had experienced. And that promise is still active and true for this generation that you and I live in. If you want the blessings of God in your family, upon your household, upon your finances, uh, if you will put God where he needs to be, get ready. The blessings are going to come and you're going to notice it. By contrast, if we don't make this our priority, it's possible to set our families up for failure. 
I have seen that happen in the years that I've been in the ministry. I've seen the blessings of God on some, and I've seen, as it were, judgment upon others. And I'm telling you, I have seen both avenues, and I choose to have the blessings of the Lord upon my family. A Sunday school teacher asked a group of children if any of them could quote the entire uh, Psalms 23. A little four-year-old girl raised her hand. The teacher, being a little skeptical, asked her, Honey, can you really quote the 23rd Psalm? The little girl smiled and said, Yes, ma'am. She said, Here it is. The Lord is my shepherd. And that's all I want. And so it has become increasingly important that we realize our children need to hear that the Lord is our shepherd and he can be all that you and I want. Amen. The top 10 ways to turn your kids off about church. Give me just a little monitor, Brother Gary. The top 10 ways to turn your children off about church. You ready for them? Schedule personal or family events to conflict with church services and church activities. Don't get too close to anybody in church. Refrain from developing relationships with Christians lest your children learn the joy and benefits of fellowship with other believers. Number eight, look at your watch during the worship and complain bitterly. Look annoyed or freaked out when church lasts longer than you think it should. And if you try that on me, I'll preach longer. I'll do it out of spite. I'll just get up here and I'll just start back over my notes in a way you'll think it's more of my notes and it'll be the same stuff over in a different way of delivery. I started with number 10 and I'm working down. Number seven, tithe and financially support your church and its missions with the same enthusiasm you pay your income tax. Number six, do the best you can to make sure the kids arrive on time to soccer lessons and school events, but don't worry if you miss church or come in late. Number five, bring your family to church only when you have nothing better to do and have a personal need. You feel really guilty and need help. Number four, don't volunteer for anything or make any kind of long-term commitments at church. Remember, you've got to keep your options open to do things that are more important than church. Number three, change churches every few years. Number two, remind your kids how imperfect your church leaders are and regularly point out their mistakes and number one and whatever you do don't let church influence the way you live your life and if you don't want your children to be influenced good about church start applying those rules and you'll make sure that they get a good round ticket or no a one-way ticket uh, into eternity without God 
a young Jewish boy grew up in Germany many years ago, and he had a profound admiration for his father. The father saw to it that the family lives revolved around the religious practices of their faith. The father led them to the synagogue faithfully. In his teenage years, however, the boy's family was forced to move to another city in Germany, and this town had no synagogue, only a Lutheran church. The life of the community revolved around the Lutheran church and all the best people belonged to it. One day the father announced to the family that they were going to abandon their Jewish traditions and join the Lutheran church. And when the stunned family asked their dad why, the father explained that it would be good for his business. The youngster was bewildered and he was confused. His deep disappointment soon gave way to anger and a kind of intense bitterness that plagued him through the remainder of his life. Later, he left Germany and he went to England to study. And while he was there, he began to write a book. And in that book, he introduced a whole new worldview conceived in a movement that was designed to change the world. He described religion as the opiate for the masses. He committed the people who followed him to live their lives without God. His name was Karl Marx, the founder of the communist movement. The history of the 20th century was significantly perverted by Marx's teachings because his father sold out his faith. When we sell out our faith to the higher bidder, we set our family up for discouragement and failure. We cannot allow ourselves to be dominated by our business or by our money or by our popularity. We have got to stay firm and committed and grounded in the faith that we know is the word of God. It is true. It's ever established and settled. And you should never walk away from this gospel that Jesus gave us to be saved by. God promises us that if we put him first in our family, he will give us certain blessings. And that does not mean that bad things aren't going to happen to you. We're still going to face sickness and loss and hardship and death because we live in a fallen world. But what these promises in Deuteronomy 6 mean is that when bad things do happen to us, God has promised that He will be right there beside us giving us whatever strength we need to face. Whatever the world throws at us, God said, I'll be there with you and I'll go through you through it and with you until the end.
And if we strive to put God first in our family life, God promises us these blessings. In verse 18, he says, it, it, it will go well with us. Verse 24 says, we will prosper. Verse 11 says, we will eat and be satisfied. Verse 25, we will receive righteousness. And verse 19, God will deal with our enemies. So all that we need to think about this morning is how can I make sure that God is number one in my life? How do we structure our family so that God comes in first place in my priorities? Deuteronomy tells us, do your faith all the time. All the time. This is not a Sunday and a Wednesday night experience. You don't just live for God when you're around godly people. You live for God every day, even when you're with the heathens. Even when you're with ungodly people and unrighteous people and lying, cheating people. You're not trying to impress other Christians. We're trying to show them there's a God that is alive in this world that can change a man or a woman like me and make him be strong in this fallen world. Amen. It's not what you say, Brother Mike, that's going to make a difference. It's the way you live. I don't follow Brother Mike around all the time, but I see him a lot. And I'm going to tell you, Mike Beard lives for God. He invites people to church and talks to people about church every day of his life. That boy don't hardly ever go a day without talking to somebody about church. Am I right? Almost. <laughs> well, at least he's honest, isn't he? I'm seeing him better than he's seeing himself. But you know, living for God is not just here on Sundays. It's easy for me to live for God in front of y'all. It's easy for you to live for God when everybody's on the same page. But it's out there when everybody's on the other page. And you're the only one on the page. And everybody's looking at you. And everybody's wondering who you are and what you're doing. And why you act like you act. And why you look like you look. And why you live like you live. They don't understand it when you don't go out and party with them on Friday nights. They don't understand it that everybody don't want to get drunk and do drugs. They do not understand that you like laying down on your bed at night and having a good night's sleep with peace in your heart that if anything happens to you, that you are in God. They don't understand that. They think that the only thing that's important is having wild nights to live and do what you want to do and get away with it. But I'm going to tell you, what you've ever had the power of the Holy Ghost and you've been set free from sin and you feel the peace of God on the inside of you and you can go to bed at night and not have fear. Honey, there is nothing in this world that can compare with being full of the Holy Ghost. (laughs) 
The Lord was talking about his laws, and he said, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. The Lord said, you need to love my soul, my law so much that when you walk through the gate, you can look and see it written there. When you go and open up the door, it's written there. When you look in the mirror, you can see it on your forehead. You can see it around your wrist. There's God's law. It might make a little tingling sound to remind you of God's law. Everywhere you go, talk about it. Amen. Instead of talking about hunting and fishing and, and, and skiing and, and, and riding motorcycles, uh, we need to get some of that turned off a little bit and get a whole lot more of God turned on a little in our lives. Somebody got to say amen to that. <clears throat> in other words, don't make your faith a once a week thing. Your kids need to see how much God you have in your life by the way you live for Him. Have you ever wondered what the most unread book in America is? Not the Bible. How many of you thought it was the Bible? Be honest. A couple of you, that's fine. It's not. It's the car owner's manual. <laughs> you may ask the question, well... Who in the world would read a car owner's manual? Can you imagine a more boring book to read? But think about it. What's the purpose of the car owner's manual? It is to help the vehicle operate at maximum effectiveness and avoid major breakdowns. And that's exactly what God's owner manual, His Word, does for our lives. Somebody ought to be shouting hallelujah right now. You know why? But according to what I just said, you don't really need to read the Bible until you get in trouble. Because that's the only time we read the manual. We're, we're reading the manual only when we got a problem we can't figure out. And we'll go to the manual and try to find out what that book tells us to do. We only need it when we get in trouble. But I'll tell you this. If you only use the Bible like that, it won't work like the car owner's manual. Because a lot of times you get yourself in such deep trouble, you can't get out of it. You get yourself in prison somewhere. I don't care how much you read your Bible. You're not getting out until you do your time. So to prevent from going to prison, to prevent from having a DWI, to prevent from being arrested for drugs uh, in your home or in your system, 
What you need to do is get the love of God down inside of you. Get his word inside of you that you can say no to that stuff. You can say no to the evil and say yes to God and God will protect you from that stuff. Boy, would somebody say that's good teaching. Thank y'all. When the, most people often read the car owner's manual, you got it. When you're not operating effectively. It's too often that so many people do the word of God that way. Yet the scripture is very clear that he gave his word for our guidance. The 119th Psalm gives a prayer and a promise that impact, that the impact of God's word uh, has in our guidance. It said, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your laws. Psalms 119.18. Psalms 119.105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When you have the word of God, it keeps you from getting in trouble down dark paths. In addition, in 2 Timothy, God gave us chapter 3, verse 16, and this guarantees us that every single word of Scripture comes from the very breath of God and is useful for four things in our life. Teaching us how to walk in the calling and mission of God, rebuking us when we're not walking there, correcting us and showing us how to get back to walking there. And number four, training us to obediently stay there once we're on course. And the result is that the person of God who does this will be ready for everything God brings their way. Church is important. It's important. And your pastor and your youth minister and elders and Sunday school teachers are here to help you and encourage you to reinforce you and your efforts in your home. But we cannot do your faith for you. We cannot live your experience. Deuteronomy 6 is telling us we can't expect our families to catch our faith by osmosis. We can't expect them to just stand around us and absorb our belief because we think godly thoughts and they're going to just think godly thoughts because they're close to us. Notice the way we're told to share our faith in our families. Number one, impress your faith on your children. Talk about your faith at home, on the road. I read these already. Tie it to your hands. Bind it on your foreheads. Write it on your door frames. These are action words. They're not osmosis words. They're not going to absorb into your spirit. Just because Brother Tom is spiritual doesn't make Preston spiritual. Just because Sister Amy's spiritual doesn't make Cruz and Estevan spiritual.
It doesn't make them godly because their mother is living for God. And Jaden, it's not going to work in your family either. Just because your mom and dad are in church don't mean you're going to live for God. You got to make up your own mind that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm almost through. Psalms 81.10 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I'll fill it. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. And if my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways, how quickly, everybody say, how quickly would I subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes? Now God was talking to Israel there. But you and I are spiritual Israel. We're born into the kingdom of God. So those promises still apply to us. We are God's children just as much as the Jews are. Sin tries to shift from a God-centered to a self-centered lifestyle. Living a holy life is dying to ourselves and returning to being God-centered in our thinking and our living. And that is so important to us, folks. And that's why we've got to fast. That's why we have to pray. That's why we have to have discipline in our lives. You must have discipline in your life to go to heaven. You're not going to just stand around church somewhere and just absorb it and say, oh boy, wasn't that good. I enjoyed the worship tonight. That was good singing. And you just absorb that good feeling up and go on your happy way and do what you want to do and live like you want to live. It's not going to work that way. To live a God-centered life, you must focus your life on God's purposes and not your plans. We must seek to see from God's perspective rather than our own distorted human perspective. When God was about to destroy the world with a flood, he came and met with Noah. When God prepared to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he came and met and talked with Abraham to tell him what he was about to do. God came to Moses when he was about to deliver Israel out of Egypt. And God came to Gideon and communicated with him when he was about to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. Without a doubt, the most important factor in each one of these situations was not what the individual was about to do, but what God was about to do. And I'm telling you, God wants to do so much in these last days. If we had an idea, if we could just open up our spiritual eyes and see what God is desiring to do. If we could get connected to God. If we could somehow join up with Him and get the mind of God in our lives. Absolutely, it would blow our minds what God would do if we could just listen to him and we could obey him. 
the pattern of scripture is that we submit ourselves to God and we wait until God shows us what he's about to do. Or we watch to see what God is doing around us and we join up with God. Get involved in what God is doing. We cause ourselves and our churches so much harm when we devise our own plans. And then we ask God to bless it. Psalms 81, 13, if my people would but listen to me. If Israel would follow my ways. Again, I tell you, he said, I quickly would subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. When God spoke through prophets, he always had a twofold message. The first desire of God was, call the people to return to me. And if the people failed to respond, they needed to hear the second voice, the second message. Let them know they are closer to the moment of judgment than they have ever been. Thankfully, God's word doesn't just point out mankind's problems. It also points out God's solution. Jesus Christ is God's solution to mankind and the problem of sin. Through his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, Jesus conquered sin for all mankind. But just as the problem of sin came upon mankind as a result of the individual choices of Adam and Eve, the solution for sin problem must be received by every individual member of the human race. It is up to us individually what we do with Jesus in our lives. If you want a God-centered family, you're going to have to make sure that you're full of Jesus. You're going to have to get the Holy Ghost living on the inside of you. Would you stand with me?